Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work and set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. Today's guest is Julio Salazar. Julio is in his mid-20s, and he moved to Amarillo with his family when he was one year old. He's currently going to WT while working full-time in pursuit of his dream of becoming a doctor. And his dream, really, is to become a physician who can work specifically with Spanish-speaking individuals in Amarillo. There's just one hurdle in his way. Julio is a dreamer. In high school, he found out that he was undocumented. The DACA program, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, gave him temporary protection. Protection from deportation, it gave him a work permit, but those are now at risk unless Congress passes a law over the next year or so. So I talked to Julio about his story, his parents' story, and why Amarillo became his home. Here's Julio Salazar. Julio Salazar, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about, um, but like with most of my guests, I want to start sort of at the beginning and establish how you ended up here in Amarillo. So uh, walk me back. How'd you get here? Um, So my family immigrated uh, to the United States back in 1995. I was about a year and a half, almost two. Um, We immigrated on on visitor visas and we ended up overstaying. Um, we had family in the area, so we we moved in with family, and my dad just started working, and my mom as well, and I just grew up here in Amarillo. Where did your family come from? So my parents come from Juarez, Mexico, and um, Durango, Mexico. Um, so they met, and then they moved to the city, and then after uh, a few years of living in the city, my dad was a migrant worker. He would work months at a time here in the U.S., and my mom would be at home with with the kids, and finally they decided that being apart wasn't wasn't working and how the situation in Mexico was kind of going, they decided to immigrate. So they they came here uh, sort of on a, a temporary status. So yes. what how does that work? Like did did they have to say, okay, we we're coming to do this type of work in this place? I mean, explain yes. that for me. Yes. So the way that that worked was my parents um, decided to apply for visas to come and visit while my dad had a worker's visa. And after a while, instead of going back at the uh, appointed time, they just decided to to overstay the visas. Do you have a sense of why they made that decision? Was it because they were enjoying you know living here and the work was good as opposed to going back to Mexico? Or? Yeah, the, the opportunities were kind of the main reason why they decided to do it. Um, so when my mom was um, probably with my, my brother was about five, my oldest brother was 10. And then she had another, my brother who was five. Um, she actually got mugged on uh, the street middle of the day um, and she was pregnant with me. Wow. And that kind of, uh, the situation in Juarez was getting really bad. I mean, there's a lot of people missing, gang violence. Um, we had family members die um, from gang-related violence as well as um, just being bystanders. So they looked at the options that they grew up with. My parents only went to about third grade, fifth grade, respectively, and they didn't want that for their kids. So they they kind of decided that it was the the best option for their kids to have a better future. And you had family here in Amarillo yes. already. Yes. So that was the destination from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And there's a lot of work in the area. Um, so that was a, a great place for 
for them to kind of start over. What kind of work did they do? So my mom was uh, an overnight cleaner. She would clean floors. Um, like she, for offices? Yeah, or? yeah, she would clean offices. She would, uh, she actually had a contract with uh, different stores, um, big kind of retail stores, um, waxing the floors, cleaning, detailing, things like that. And then my dad would be a roofer. Um, and then in the evenings, he would uh, work at a hotel um, as a housekeeper. Do you have a sense when they made the decision to overstay their visa? Did, did they understand the future implications of that? I mean, was that something that was, was there a big decision-making process about doing it? Or was it just, we don't want to go back? I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly what their thoughts were on it. Um, I think they, they saw the situation and they made a, a choice. And whether that was them maybe probably hoping that there would be some form of path for us in the future or that I don't I don't think they really saw too far out. They were just afraid for their kids future and they made the the choice right then and there. And how old are you? 24. 24. So that was more than 20 oh, years yeah, ago. Yeah. I was uh, I was two or about a year and a half, almost two. And I mean, I've been here for 22 years. Do you get a sense from them, and this may not be something that you talk about with your parents, but but what they found in Amarillo that compelled them to stay here, as um, opposed to even going someplace else, you know, South Texas? The or, peace, I think. That's that's what my mom loves about this place, how it's it's comfortable. I mean, she has honestly never had an issue with... With being with, mugged yeah, in the streets. Yeah, I mean, just the people, and just the people in general around here. I mean, it's it, the people here are kind and... They're great. And my mom has always said that she she likes this town. She likes the city. I mean, it's it's home. It, it was it was a great place for her to start a new a new life with her kids and and feel at home as much as she could. Has their legal status ever impacted anything related to your life here in Amarillo? Yeah. So um my my mom actually had to leave the US when I was 16. Um her brother was murdered in Juarez due to gang violence, and she wasn't able to come back. And then my dad was deported when I was 17. Um, so the last few years of my high school career, I kind of had to I'd go it alone um, with, with an older brother who would check in on me and kind of make sure that I was okay. And that, that, that impacted a lot in my life, especially at that kind of that crucial moment of yeah. growing up. Yeah, being a high schooler. Yeah. And so they've not been back no. since they were deported or since she went yeah. back. What did you understand about that growing up? I mean, was that something you were aware of, you know, as a middle schooler, as a kid? No, not at all, actually. Um, so growing up as a kid, my mom, anytime I would um, kind of be at school in elementary school, if she said that if, if they asked you where you were born, just not to answer it or to either just say Amarillo. I never thought twice about it. And finally, probably when in, in eighth grade, my, uh, my, my oldest brother was deported and that kind of was where and I started to kind of wonder what was going on. And, and I, I learned a little bit about the the undocumented status that my brother had. I didn't know that that applied to me mm -hmm. as well. How old was he? Uh, how, or how much older than you? He's 10 years older 10 years than older? Yeah, okay. so I was in middle school, so he would have been about 20, 21 almost um, at the time. After that, I didn't think about it much. And then when it was time for me to get a driver's license when I was 16, I kept asking my mom, hey, can I go get a driver's license? And she would say no. I wondered why. And... Then when it came time to apply for college, um, my junior year of high school, that's when Caprock would start getting us ready to, to do all of that. I, I found out that I didn't have a, a social security number and I couldn't apply to colleges outside of Amarillo because I wouldn't get financial aid and it was going to be tricky to even get enrolled in a college without a social security. 
So what happened? What did you do? Um, I applied to Amarillo College. I did dual credit all through high school. Um, and then I went to AC and then I transferred over to WT when I graduated high school. And I mean, I pay for tuition out of pocket and just been kind of working towards my degree ever since. Okay. Do you work? Uh, yeah. To, to go into school full time? Yeah. So I, at 18, um, DACA came out and that was best thing ever. Um, it gave me a work permit um, and a social security number so that I can um, enroll in college well, um, and then pay for tuition. So I'll go to school. I'll take about one or two classes a semester, pay the tuition, um, get on a payment plan. And if let's say I, it's too much for me to enroll the next semester, or I still owe, I'll take a semester off. I'll take a year off, pay that. And I work full time. Okay. And what do you do? So, uh, I work at street Volkswagen of Amarillo. Um, I work in their, uh, business development center. Um, so kind of where we, uh, get all of the internet marketing, um, and as well as contact with customers. And I work full-time there. And then from there, I'm doing a pre-med biology degree okay. at West Texas A&M. And what, uh, imagining that, that you'll get to stay here, you know, nothing will happen. What do you hope to, to end up doing? Well, so I actually want, I, I'm, I still haven't fully decided yet, but I worked at the Don Harrington Discovery Center for, for years, um, after high school. And I loved that place. I loved teaching. So I definitely want to finish my biology degree and get certified to teach. Um, I want to teach at the high school level. I want to be a biology teacher. And then I want to save up money and then eventually go to med school and kind of do that and, and help the community help. A, a big part of it is I want to help the the Hispanic community and the Latino community just because um, the health problems and just the lack of um, Spanish-speaking doctors in the area definitely impacts um, a lot of the health of the community. So I definitely want to give back and, and be a part of the, the community that, that gave so much to me. And did you grow up speaking Spanish and English at home or was it uh, Spanish at home and English everywhere else? I mean, yeah. So it was, um, it was Spanish at home. Uh, my mom wanted to make sure that I, that I knew the language mm -hmm. um, that she knew and, and the language of my grandparents. And outside of the house, I, I would speak English. And that was also kind of one of those. And my mom would speak English. She would speak broken English, but we made it a point to make sure that anytime we were outside of the house to, to speak English, just because we were always aware that not everybody agreed with immigration and, and immigrants. And sometimes whenever, even if we were just talking about the kind of groceries or even if it was just com more comfortable for my parents to speak Spanish to me, they still didn't want to offend anybody mm -hmm. or anger anybody. So that was kind of their making sure that, hey, speak English, be as appeasing as possible to everybody. Okay. Let's let's talk about that. Um, I I know that this is a you know that that DACA and uh, status of the dreamers, immigration, all those things have become pretty fraught issues. You know, the last couple of years, uh, thanks to the political world. Is is that something that you personally have have had to deal with? I mean, do, do people know that that you're a dreamer and that you're a person who's a part of this big issue? So throughout high school and throughout the beginning of my college, no, um, there was only a handful of, of people that knew about my legal status. My high school counselor, she was the one that actually, she, she, um, so I graduated high school with a distinguished achievement degree plan. Um, I graduated with over 25 hours of college credit and my counselor was like, Hey, I've got these great scholarships for you. I've got these great like programs for you. And she'd known from talking to me since probably I was a sophomore that I wanted to go to an out of state college. She was trying to find me all of these options to be able to help me do that. And after a while, I had to tell her, I'm like, I can't, I can't do any of those things. I can't, I'm not eligible for them. And she kind of asked about it and I had to explain it to her. And then from there, none of my friends really knew about it until 
actually September the 5th of 2017, whenever I posted a video online that kind of went viral and all my friends kind of were like, wow, we didn't know that you were, that you were undocumented. I wouldn't imagine getting any pushback from your friends, but knowing the, you know, the, the political bent of Amarillo, have you received um, some, some negative, you know, comments, negative pushback from anybody here? I think with the internet, you will always get that, that negative pushback. Um, but in general, not really. I mean, I've had people that legitimately have asked me, hey, I don't know how this process works. And it does kind of irritate me that people come in and, and do this. Can you explain why y'all did this? And, uh, and I'll go in and I'll explain to them and say, hey, this is, this is the situation. Um, we, I understand that what my parents did was wrong, but I, I grew up as an American and I, I have American values. Um, I have goals to help the community here. And they, they understand more from that perspective um, of me opening up about it. Let's, um, I want to provide a little bit of an educational um, aspect of this, you know, for people who have heard about DACA, who have heard about Dreamers, uh, but primarily, you know, in the context of a news report, you know, saying we don't want this, we do want this. I mean, tell me what is happening right now in terms of your status, in terms of the decision that the president made, what you know, you know, right now as, as it's spring of 2018. As of right now, the the political climate is just kind of tense around the subject. So um, first off, for, for those that don't know, DACA was a program that was put in place in 2012. And that program basically allowed immigrant youth to come out of the shadows and to say, hey, you know what, we, we aren't criminals. We aren't um, people of, of bad moral character. We just grew up here and we were put in a situation that we had no control over. And that was an executive order yes. that Obama made. Yes. And so what it did is it actually registered over uh, or close to 750,000 priorly unknown undocumented immigrants. And so to get DACA to begin with was actually a really tough process. So you had to prove that you'd been in the U.S. prior to 2007 you had to prove that you were here the day that that executive order was um, announced and make sure that you weren't outside of the U.S. for more than two weeks at a time. Um, you also had to pass background checks. Um, you had to be of good moral character, as the application uh, put it. And then you also had to go through a biometric check. So they had to uh, scan fingerprints, photos, um, just kind of make sure where you live, where you had lived for the last few years, um, what your plans were, what you were doing at the moment. And then after that, so it wasn't just here. an automatic thing. No, you no, had no, no, to no. go through several steps to get. Yeah, I waited months. I waited months before I got my my status and um, it gave me a work permit. And so right now, what has happened since um, the risk, the rescinding of the program, we we basically don't have a, an ability to renew anymore. So right now, the courts um, in, in the month of uh, February have said that they were not going to hear the appeal. So what that does is that allows um, the Department of Homeland Security to continue accepting renewals. They're not accepting any more new DACA applications, okay. but they are accepting renewals for people that were fixing to expire before that uh, or after that March 5th deadline. At How often do you have to renew? Every two years. Okay. So um, when would your renewal be coming up? So I renewed in June of 2017. Okay. Um, so I have about a year and a few months left, um, June 2019. 
um, is is coming up, and that's whenever my status will expire. And so the un- uncertainty is whether you will be renewed yes. once you reapply yes. for status. And that depends on a lot of things, whether you know Congress Ooh. decides to exactly. extend DACA, pass a law, what happens in the courts, all yeah. those things. So the, the main thing that we're kind of waiting on is a legislative path that is bipartisan that will allow DREAMers and, and the 750,000 DACA recipients to gain a path to citizenship. Not automatic citizenship, but a path. Tell me about that path to citizenship. Because I, I know, you know, from seeing Facebook comments or, you know, people uh, in the news saying, well, why don't they just all get naturalized? Why don't they apply for citizenship? It's not as easy as just saying, hey, I want to be a citizen, is it? Exactly. So when I actually turned 18, I I looked into the options. Um, my, my high school counselor actually connected me um, with her sister, who was an immigration lawyer, to try and figure out my status. And I have gone to other lawyers as well and spent money trying to figure out what, if there is a path. So as of right now, dreamers do not have a path to citizenship. And the reason is um, because we came into the United States um, as children and we overstayed visas or we came in illegally, um, we've been here for so long that to apply, you have to apply from the outside in. If we would leave the US, there is a very, very high possibility that you would actually be banned from the United States. That ban could be a year, three, five. After that ban, so let's say let's say I get a three-year ban, I would have to apply from the very back of the line. Coming from Mexico, which is a very high immigration um, population into the U.S., there's only a certain amount of visas that they actually can can give out, and there's a huge backlog. So it it could be five, even ten years before I hear a hey yeah we we've approved you to tr- come back into the U.S. After that, it would be another five years as a resident, and then it would be another uh, few years before I get my citizenship. So in the path that they have in place, I would have to leave my home to a country that I have never been to since I was almost born and basically start over. I mean, I don't really have much knowledge of Mexico, or I don't have any documentation that I've lived there or any kind of formal education in, in the Mexican system. So it would displace a lot of people and it's jumping into a a new culture and a new environment is going to mess a lot of people up and it would, it would hurt them severely. And there's no path for us to, to take to, to gain citizenship. Where are your parents now? So my parents are living back in Juarez, um, in the, in their, in their home. My dad is a, uh, overnight watchman at a laundromat because they have to make sure that nobody breaks in, steals stuff, so. And he also sells uh, just, so I'll, we'll send him like hand-me-downs from here. We'll go to garage sales, pick him up some clothes, uh, kind of appliances, and he'll resell them at swap meets. What What do they want for U.S. parents? I mean, I can imagine that there's a part of them that says, well, we'd, we'd love to not be in Mexico and unable to visit our, our son, but another part that wants you to have the opportunities that you would have here. I mean, do you, do you have a sense of how they feel about it? Well, I think my parents just want to make sure that I have opportunities that they didn't have. They know that they sacrificed a lot and they just want to make sure that that I'm that I'll be okay at the end of the day. That I have everything that I can to be the successful person that they know I can be. And due to your status, you've um you've gotten into a little bit of activism. So tell me tell me some of the the ways that you've been working to advocate on behalf of people like you. 
So yeah, the uh, the activism kind of happened by accident at first. It was that video that I posted. Um, I think it gained over uh, around 20,000 views on Facebook. And that connected me to some organizations. Um, Forward.us, which is a uh, tech startup by Mark Zuckerberg, um, Bill Gates, and a few other tech giants that are trying to pass um, bipartisan legislation for immigrants. They, they contacted me to go to Washington, D.C., um, in October and speak with um, members of Congress to show them that, hey, we're, we're part of these communities. We are, we are people that, that love this country and we, we want to stay. We want to have the opportunity to make it even, even better than it already is. And then from there, I mean, I've, I've gone to organizations here in town, um, town hall meetings. I've gone to uh, some groups to speak on the subject as well um, as done TV interviews to just try and, and keep dreamers in people's minds and they know that hey this is something that needs to to be addressed were you able to talk to uh, mac thornberry so i've uh, met with mac thornberry's staffer uh yeah. kamal which is his point uh, it's a great guy he's a son of immigrants as well and he has helped me a lot especially with kind of keeping an, an open communication as to what uh the congressman is uh planning what his stances are on the subject and uh what the plan is Having had those conversations, being much more invested in it than you know, just a regular news watcher or somebody like me, do you have a sense of what might happen, what the next you know year, year and a half might look like, or is it just you have no idea given the you know the administration right now? Well, I, it's they don't really they don't really share too too much just because it's politics, so they have to kind of keep a lot of their their cards kind of face down. But my, my main job is to go up there and just kind of share my story. And that's basically what I've been doing for the last uh, eight months close to, is just sharing my, my experiences, um, just sharing what I'm doing in the community. And from there, I mean, it's just kind of up to them to, to work together and just letting them know that, hey, I'm, I'm still here. I mean, I'm still just trying to be a part of the community and, and help out. Do you have any other family members here? I have one sibling that lives here. And... Uh, other than that, yeah, that's that's. I've got cousins that are U.S. citizens and uncles that are that are U.S. citizens. I, I want to talk a little bit about Amarillo. Um, I know this is a city where, on one hand, there's there's a large group of people who are really invested. You know, whether they're educators or churches, you know, that are invested in the immigrant, the refugee population, uh, that community. Uh, it's also a very politically conservative place. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you feel? at home here? I mean, do you feel welcomed here just as a person, regardless of, you know, whatever your legal status might be, whatever your political beliefs might be? I mean, do you feel home? Yeah, yeah, I feel so. I, I feel like I've, I've always been at home. And one of the the biggest things that I've learned in the last year, really, is that just because somebody has a different political view doesn't mean that that you hate them. It, it just means that there needs to be a conversation. And even if we still disagree, I, I still respect them. And the great thing about Amarillo is that people have respect. And a lot of these people, whether they, they still don't understand the subject or they, it still frustrates them, they, they do a good job of still showing respect and saying, hey, you know what, I don't agree with you, but um, I appreciate you having an open conversation on it. One of the biggest things um, that, that has happened and has actually kind of surprised me is that people are open to listening and to and to what I have to say, 86% of the American population believes that dreamers should have a path to citizenship. So showing them, as soon as they talk to me, I mean, they they act surprised because they're like, wow, I, I didn't know that your English was that good. Or 
they didn't know that I've been here so long and they, uh, I'll tell them about the things that I do in the community or they'll see the things that I do in the community through my Facebook posts. And they're like, well, you're not draining the system. You're not here taking people's jobs. You're, you're just trying to be a part of the community and growing up in the home that you've only known. I found that I think a lot of people have political views that are shaped by an idea and don't always think of an actual person, you know, who's impacted by those views and that meeting a real life person, you know, developing a friendship or relationship is, is a big way to start to open that conversation. So it's, it's not just this 800,000 dreamers. It's this one guy that I've met in Amarillo. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the big thing is people will look at the, at the whole and kind of be overwhelmed. And you have people saying this, and then you have people saying this, and it's it's frustrating for them. So they, they don't really get to see the human side of it. And the biggest thing about dreamers is that this, that yes, this is, is, is a political issue. Um, there, there needs to be a conversation about border security. There needs to be a conversation about making sure, in, in my personal view, that there is not another DACA dreamer situation in another 20, 25 years. But it's also a humanitarian issue. People are losing their status. Um, people that have been here their whole lives, people that have kids that are U.S. citizens that depend on their mom and dad being able to pay their bills, their mortgage, their car payment. Just because their status expires, it doesn't mean that their lives are on hold or they stop. They continue. Those bills still have to come out. Those, those payments still have to be made. So... I think what people need to understand is that we are in a in a situation that is that is ruining people's lives and I understand that what my parents did and what what the parents of many other dreamers did is is wrong. We just need to look at the situation at hand is these are educated young men and women with no criminal history that just want to make this their community better that just want to make their homes better for their kids and be a part of of the American dream. What can people do if, if they want to help you, if, if they want to make sure that, you know, you're not sent away in a couple of years, that you can, you know, build the career that you want to build and invest in the community the way that you want to, how can they help? I just think being open on the subject and, and listening is, is the biggest thing, as well as talking to your congressman. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that I have been putting out there, um, especially with friends that are older. Um, that are that are pretty heavily involved in the community, but I'm also with with people that are my age, and um, I think it's one's civic duty to be a part of the community and and make sure that your voice is being heard because that's how change happens. That's how people come together and and work on on difficult subjects and are able to to help. And talking to your congressman, voting that's I think one of the biggest things that people can do. If you've listened to more than a few episodes of this podcast, you know the best guests are the storytellers. They're able to just hook you in. It comes naturally to them. And I believe everyone has a good story to tell. That's why I have a podcast. But not all of us are natural storytellers. And it's the same way in the business world. Marketing is a form of storytelling. It's how you tell the story of your company. But whether you own a small startup or a large corporation, that doesn't mean the marketing aspect comes naturally to you. And that's why my sponsor, ROI Online, exists. Based in Amarillo, ROI is a team of marketing experts, just like you would look to find in Dallas or Boston, who will come alongside you and help you tell the story of your business. So if you're to the point of seriously considering upgrading your marketing efforts, ROI could be the business growth partner to help you become the hero 
and your story of success in business. For the price of a single employee, you can hire an entire team of creative marketing professionals at ROI. Find them on Instagram and Facebook or let ROI guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, we're back with Julio Salazar. Julio, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and uh, your job as a guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you'd like to. All right. Let's start with uh, a pretty easy one. What's your favorite local place to eat? Favorite local place to eat is going to be Ichiban um, off of 34th in Georgia. Why do you like it? Um, I I love Asian food. Um, It is probably my, I can eat that every single day. And a friend of mine, her family owns it, and it's it's great. It's great food. It's a comfortable atmosphere. It's it's my favorite place to go. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's pretty much the only legit ramen place yes. that we have in Amarillo, right? Yes. Um, best noodles I've ever had. So, what does this area have too much of? Bad drivers, and I am I'm guilty of that too. Um, I think we need to be a little bit more courteous of, uh, of our fellow, uh, Amarillians and, uh, just be polite on the road a little bit more. And you think that's a Texas thing, a culture thing, the, the bad driving, or is there bad driving everywhere? I think there's bad driving everywhere, but Amarillo has a habit of kind of taking the cake on that. And again, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. So I think we just all need to slow down every once in a while and remember other people are on the road as well. Yeah. We're a car culture, um, which means we're not really used to high pedestrian traffic, bicyclists, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, yeah. like you might be in a bigger city. What does this area not have enough of? I think walking um, and and bicyclists. Um, I think whenever I go out and travel, I love walking around. I prefer to actually not take Uber or to not take uh, taxis. I prefer to walk around or even just use the public transportation system. It's always a great experience. Uh, you always meet people on the subway uh, or on the the bus. I, I've been to Chicago, I've been to uh, New York, I've been to Washington, and it is just a cool experience just walking around and seeing the city. It's a good way to, you know, if, if you're driving past stuff, you don't really get a feel of a neighborhood exactly. or shops in the street or something, but walking, you see stuff you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Whenever I was in D.C. this uh, this past February, I, I, I stumbled into a restaurant that was a, a bar grill slash jazz bar, and it was the, the greatest thing ever. And I actually struck up a conversation with a few people um, that I'd never met in my life, and we we talked for a few hours, and it was a great, great, great uh, experience. You would have just driven right past it. Yeah, I would have driven just past it, yeah. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? Last weekend. Really? Um, I right. love Paladuro Canyon. I actually went out there for the first time three years ago, and I fell in love. And one of my biggest things is, uh, in the last few years, kind of exercising and running. It just It's a great way to clear my mind. So going out to the canyon and hiking or running a trail, it just it clears your mind, and it just opens up the wonder and the beauty of, of our area and kind of one of the biggest hidden gems that not a lot of people know. Of. Do you have a favorite trail out there? Um, rock garden is always a fun trail to do for me. 
Um, I, I know that the park rangers probably hate this, but I like to go off trail sometimes. And there's a few areas that I will uh, go off of trail and explore and kind of have fun with. But I, I definitely try to be as safe as I can and make sure that I don't venture off too far. Do you ever run on the Rock Garden Trail? Yes. I mean, that's, yes. that's the one legit climbing trail I think we have in this area. Yeah. And that is, that is an intense, uh, intense workout if you, if you know the, the area well enough and, it's fun. It's like I said, it just, it clears your mind and it's, it's good for the soul. Coming down is a lot more fun too oh, yeah. when you're running. Oh yeah. Um, what season in Amarillo is your favorite season? Well, considering that we have every season in a week, kind of hard to, to pick. I'm going to go with spring. Um, I like that, that cool temperature, but it's, it's warm enough to where you can go out for a jog without freezing. All right. This is, this is a hard question for some people, but pack a sack or toot and totem. Ooh, I have both right next to my house, but I think toot and totem just because it is like, just, I just walk down to it and it's super easy to, to get to it. So it's just convenience. Just convenience. That's, that's, that's the main thing. What do you think is the most underrated aspect of Amarillo? Um, our downtown. Um, a lot of people knock it. A lot of people hate it. I think it's, it's cool. I, I like going downtown and um, I'm, I'm a big Pokemon Go player. Um, so I still, I, oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I am, I am a level 34 Pokemon right. go player. So you didn't give it up after no, a few months. You no, stayed no, with no. it. Um, I am, I am addicted to Pokemon. That is my, that is my jam right there. Um, but downtown is my favorite spot. Um, I walk around and there's still a lot of Pokemon go players here in Amarillo. So that a lot of them will, will meet up and just the city in general. It's just, I, lo- I love how our downtown feels. Um, there's a lot of new things happening downtown and I, I would love people to, kind of look into it more and kind of explore the area and walk it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Walk it. Yeah. What is the most overrated aspect of Amarillo? Cadillac ranch. Okay. Um, I just think that's like the one thing that everybody does at at one point or another. Um, there's, there's so much more art and I think that's the thing that we're, that we're really well known for. Um, but there are so many art projects here in town that kind of deserve a little bit more kind of attention to it. So I think, that's that to me is kind of the most overrated. I always feature. wonder if Cadillac Ranch is a little underwhelming for people, you know, who are driving through and they say, "Oh, it's Amarillo. We have to go to Cadillac Ranch." And you get out there and there's there's like no buildings, there's no structures there. It doesn't feel yeah. like a big destination. It's just kind of this empty field. I've, I've always thought that maybe we need like some little museum or at least a gift shop or something there to make it feel more real, you know. Yeah, I think even even just something different to to, to liven it up but like i said i that's i think that's the first thing that everybody says hey go go out to cadillac ranch spray paint on there and it's and don't get me wrong it, it's a great it's a great thing that we have and, and i love that we have it i just wish people would explore a little bit more of what we have here in town okay so those are my uh, eight straight questions uh, i like to end every episode by just asking my guests to endorse something so is there something related to this area that whatever it is you you want listeners to know about you know what? I, I think I'm going to go back into Powder Canyon. I think that's one of the, the greatest things that we can endorse. Um, it is the second largest canyon system in the U.S. It is a wonderful place to go out to. Um, I I personally have a Texas um, State Park Pass with them. It's a great Which is a great, a great investment. I mean, it doesn't cost that much. And then exactly. you don't have to pay 5 or $10 every time you go. Exactly. And it's it's just, it's wonderful. And if I can endorse anything, just, just people going out there, uh, being respectful of nature, as well as making sure you guys clean up after yourselves. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's one of the greatest things that we have in our backyard. 
Okay, Julio Salazar, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. I want to say thanks to Julio Salazar for telling his story today. Uh, You can look him up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. uh, Just search for Julio Salazar. He should pop up. Uh, I want to say thanks also to ROI Online for sponsoring yet another episode of this podcast. And thanks especially to those of you who listen week in and week out. If you haven't subscribed, you know, in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts, go ahead and subscribe. Leave a review if you're so inclined. That helps other people discover the show. Um, Follow us on Facebook at Hey Amarillo uh, on Facebook and on Twitter at Hey Amarillo. Um, I appreciate you. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.